You know, I think there's, so I think there's arguments to be made both ways with lifting on a recovery week. So I think there's an argument to be made that you should do either no gym work or very light gym work on your recovery week because it's a recovery week and you're recovering from both cycling and the gym. But I've actually played around the opposite way. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we answered questions on how to structure recovery weeks, whether low-level cyclists should still include Zone 2 riding, and what to keep in mind when properly executing an endurance ride. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. We here at Ignition use Flow Formula products on the regular for all aspects of our training, and we highly recommend you check it out, too. To get 10% off Flow's endurance sports-specific formulated nutrition products, then head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast. They have all sorts of fun flavors, including low- and high-sodium flavorless blends and even caffeinated formulas if you need that extra kick. So pick up some Flow Formula products today and let us know what you think. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Or find us on Instagram and send us a DM. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so the first question this week is sort of in, an update from a previous listener question. And then he also has an additional question on top of that. So this one comes from our resident math teacher, Ben. He says, hey, Ignition Crew, thanks again for your thoughts on the power meter versus bike question. After further thinking, I just put a down payment on a gravel bike. Ultimately, in my decision, I prioritize being able to ride right from my house and wanting to do more summer group rides with my local bike shop. I'll begin a Cannondale Topstone 2. I decided to not to stretch for a carbon frame in hopes that I can also save up for a power meter by the end of the season. I think that's a good call. Um, I also want to add coaching into the mix at some point, obviously through Ignition Coach Co., but it'll be a year out from now um, as budgeting gets tight with a growing family. Uh, new question regarding recovery weeks. As you go through your training cycle and hit recovery weeks, how do you decide what you're cutting back on? Do you focus more on cutting out volume, cutting out intensity, or maybe both? And does that focus change as you move between base build and race seasons? Thanks again for all the knowledge, Ben. Yeah, I think it definitely changes based on the season. Um, so for example, in the base season, you're probably going to be doing a ton of volume, um, or at least hopefully in an ideal world. Uh, and in that scenario, you would want to cut down on volume pretty significantly. I'd say, you know, probably do 50 to 60% of the volume that you normally do. Um, and you would still want to cut down on volume during a recovery week in the build season. Um, but I would usually, in the base period, a recovery week has very little intensity at all. And I would throw an intensity ride in a build recovery week towards the end of the week to just kind of maintain that intensity and not have like a whole week where, you know, no intense, intense work was done. So I guess in both scenarios, you're cutting down on volume, but also in both scenarios, the week looks a little bit different. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'll yeah. Try so, to, um, yeah, go ahead, Drew. Yeah, my recovery weeks um, will will slightly change, but not like too crazy throughout the different seasons of the year. Um, 
Yeah, like kind of what Dylan said. Like when I'm trying to peak, it's almost like when you've got a lot of races, it's almost like every week is almost a recovery week. And you might do like one hard workout. But volume and intensity is kind of like low then. But like at the beginning of the year, when volume is high and intensity is pretty low, I might mix in some other things during a recovery week, like sprints um, early in the year, because I don't really focus on sprinting any other time of the year until maybe when I'm peaking. And at that point, it's like, how good can I get at sprinting when I'm already like pretty close to those peak events? So I've tried to like incorporate more things like like sprinting or if if it's during the cross season going out and doing skills stuff like that that aren't volume or intensity related like I know sprinting is intensity related but doing 5 to 10 really hard sprints on like a pretty easy ride I feel like doesn't add a huge amount of stress to the recovery week so it's something like something to get you to do something that you're productive in doing without really adding like cumulative stress to the entire week, I guess. Yeah. And Drew, like, will you save that, that, you know, easy endurance ride with sprints for like later in the week? So you give your, you like front load the first half of the week with, with recovery days. Yeah. Yeah. It might be like from Monday to Wednesday is like either days off or easy spins. And then maybe on Thursday or like Saturday, they might do some sprints. Okay. Yeah. They definitely have like, they like the front. Yeah. As soon as they hit that rest week, the focus is rest. And once they're like pretty recovered, I'll yeah throw in a workout like that. I've even asked athletes like the difference between a five day recovery week and a seven day recovery week. So basically, should you go back to already jumping into the next cycle of training on Saturday or should you wait until the all the way to the next week on like Tuesday? Mm-hmm. Um, I am in the boat of I, I think five days is enough. Um, and so typically I will do kind of what I call like an intro workout on that Saturday. Like they might. If their next block is threshold, I might give them a very like easy threshold workout, really just so that they can get an idea of what to expect over the next three weeks. Um, and that's going to be like the easiest, easiest workout they have for the whole upcoming block. It would be that Saturday. I kind of like refer to it as an intro workout. But some people, I think maybe once you get to coaching masters athletes, would say that they want the full seven, seven days. So it kind of like yeah, you the communication kind of depends on how far in the hole you are after your last training block too. Yeah, good point. Um, generally I find that seven days is like, yeah, I mean you have to be absolutely toasted to need seven days. Uh, mm-hmm. in my experience, like most people are fine after five, but yeah. you know, maybe, maybe you just went down to Tucson after riding 10 hours per week on the trainer all winter. And then you did 25 hours and now you, There's now you need that seven days. And I guess a part of the equation is like, how easy were those five days? I mean, if you're really focused on recovery for those five days, then I think by Saturday, you should be good to go. But if you're like, even off the bike, if you're trying to like, do something stupid, like remodel your bathroom, we've talked about this before, like, (laughs) should you or should you not? I'm in the boat of you totally should remodel your bathroom during a rest week, because the hours that you're not on the bike, you could dedicate to the bathroom. But you all have said, well, you're still, if you do that, you're still accumulating stress. It's just not like, you're just not recording it with your Garmin, basically. And it's not cycling specific. So you you could still, you could still end up at the end of a rest week, having barely ridden your bike and still feel like you're in the hole because you didn't really let your body rest. You know, I've heard uh, uh, Tade Pagacha's coach, Inigo San Milan, talk about not 
rest weeks, but talking about tapering and how long a taper should be. And he never has an athlete taper for more than a week. And he, his opinion is that if you need more than a week to taper, you're probably overtrained. Mm. Like a lot of triathletes will talk about how they're doing a two week taper, a three week taper. I think some triathletes are even <clears throat> extreme enough to like taper for a whole month. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not really in so the much, triathlon space, but I know that triathletes so much more in volume general, there though. Stress yeah. But, but what he's, what, sure. But what he's saying is that they're doing it wrong. Like they're overtraining. <laughs> um, like if they need a month to taper, it means that they're, o- they're overtrained and, and they should mm-hmm. shift something in their, in their training plan to, to not be overtrained. You know? Um, I mean, I, I get the triathletes have to do three sports, but, um, and this is not a, this is not a tangent where I'm trying to bash triathletes by any means. I'm more so t- trying to talk about, uh, like, like what the optimal length of time for recovery week is or, or the optimal time for a taper for that matter. Cause a lot of people do a two week taper. Um, I generally find that a two week taper is too long. I don't perform well if I've tapered for two weeks. I, the athletes that I've coached, I think two weeks is too long. And I do think that there's something to be said that if it's taking you that long to feel good on the bike again, um, it may be the fact that you're that you're overtrained. Yeah, yeah I, I've never coached any triathletes. I've had a couple <clears throat> triathletes reach out with with interest in in receiving coaching, um, but I just I don't feel like I have enough experience with like uh, building out like a swim training plan. Like that's really the only one that I don't I I'm not comfortable yeah. with. Um, but, but my general perception is that most age group athletes, most age group triathletes train too much as far as volume goes yeah. and they well, don't train enough either, intensity. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think the nature of tri and, and we're kind of getting away from this guy's question, but I think the nature of triathlon, because there's three sports that you have to train, not just one, it kind of. And also the culture of triathletes. Um, I think the culture of endurance sports in general is like this, but particularly triathletes where it's like, you know, like, I don't know, there's like this rest is for the weak mentality. I, I feel like those two, those two factors in combination really lend themselves to people being overtrained. Yep. <clears throat> Anyway, Ben, super pumped <laughs> that you're getting super pumped that you're getting a coach and just like how your training should be individualized, your recovery is too. Um, yeah. it might take you five days, it might take you seven, it might be three weeks on, one week off, or two weeks on, one week off. Um another little nuance to it is I like to test at the end of a recovery week, have five good recovery days and then kind of like an opener day and then test I, that works really well instead of you know at the end of a big training block and being blown um there's there's that what else um yeah you could also I, I think the end of a recovery week is a great time to test and also maybe if you want to do like a uh early season b priority b or c priority race just to kind of like mm-hmm. test, test your race legs uh end of a recovery week is a great time to do it because you know, your legs won't be totally smoked from doing, I don't know, you know, a big block of training right before it. Yeah. So. And this, yep. this pertains, um, what I'm about to say pertains more toward the, um, like 
preseason training, but if you're in the thick of your, or off season training, if you're in the thick of your strength training, you know, and you're in three days or even two days a week, um, backing that off to one day a week or for the recovery week anyway. Um, and if you're somebody who's introduced a bunch of cross training, you know, having more cross training days during your, your rest week, but you know, if you're not used to running, that might introduce more stress than needed, but there's a lot to play around with there. I've never, <clears throat> so we use Volt uh, within the Ignition Coach Co. And Volt is, to sum it up, like a, an easy way for people to get into the gym. It's an app that walks people through strength workouts and it's cycling specific. And one of the cool things is that it's periodized based on when you put in a competitive phase. And so if somebody's trying to be competitive from during the crit season, from April to August, you'd put in their competitive and then it periodizes the training to where you're doing really heavy lifting before your competitive phase. When, and I've been using this for a couple of years and I've never really like tried to get an athlete's training periodization, cycling periodization to line up perfectly with the volt periodization so that on their rest week on the bike, they're also resting in the gym or doing what, what volt mm. calls an unload week. I just let let the both play out. So if they end up doing a, a heavy lifting week during a rest week, um, I don't, I don't stress about it too much. Uh, you know, but. I think there's, so I think there's arguments to be made both ways with lifting on a recovery week. So yeah. I think there's an argument to be made that you should do either no gym work or very light gym work on your recovery week because it's a recovery week and right. you're recovering from both cycling and the gym. But I've actually played around the opposite way where if I'm in my base season, I'm generally reducing my training volume in the gym and reducing my training intensity in the gym. So I'm not lifting as heavy and I'm not doing as many sets. But on my recovery week, because because I'm feeling more recovered and because I've got more time before I need to do my next hard workout or next you know, block of big volume, I'll throw in a, a harder gym session to re relative to what I've been doing kind of in the middle of the recovery week. So I might lift more weight than I, than I have been lifting and I might do more sets than I have been doing. And I might be a little bit more sore from that because, you know, it's a little bit more load than my body is used to from the gym. But if I do it on say, you know, Wednesday or Thursday, I've got some time before I'm like, really ramping up my training load again and it's not the end of the world and, and that's that's kind of a way of kind of prolonging um prolonging that maintenance gym phase uh i feel like yeah i like that and now that you say that out loud it's like now that i think about it yeah you're probably maximizing your strength gains because you've had the time off the bike hmm well I like and, that. and i think you can do that I think you can also do a kind of a hybrid approach like, you know, Caitlin, like you were talking about, if you're used to doing three days in the gym, maybe you drop it down to two days, but you keep that intensity as high um, or maybe even a little bit higher. And that's how you like can keep a little bit of intensity in doing your rest week. Um, but you, you're bringing a little like you're doing like you're saying, like you're bringing a little more freshness into the gym and you're allowing yourself more recovery after that gym session. Mm -hmm. And I, I like it mainly for the point of like realistically, like, 75% of the year a cycling should be just a cyclist should just be doing maintenance lifting because they should have already done all their really, really heavy lifting in the first part of the year. So like 
during the whole competitive phase and even before the competitive phase when they're doing really hard bike training, they shouldn't be trying to lift super heavy then. So then they go into this maintenance phase that just seems to last for a really long time. And so being able to mix it up every three weeks and throw in one or two hard gym sessions on your rest weeks kind of just gets you out of like that real long maintenance gym. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Cool. Moving on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this next one comes from Shannon and she's wants to know about low level cyclists and the importance of zone two riding. Hi, Matchbox podcast team. Thanks for putting on such a great podcast. I'm writing in with a listener question for cyclists with a low level of fitness. Is it still worth it to do a traditional base season with big blocks of zone two training or is it better to get a decent level of fitness before uh, first before worrying about specific periodization? Due to my low level of cycling fitness, riding around at zone two feels like I'm not really making any fitness gains and I worry I may be getting stuck at this low level. Zone two also limits riding with friends and group rides because I'm not able to keep up. I currently ride about four days per week, two days where I try to stay in zone two and the other two days where I don't pay attention to power. These two unstructured days are also when I often ride with friends or attend group rides. They also tend to be longer days and pretty difficult rides for me as I spend a significant amount of time in zone three and four. A little bit of additional background, I am in my mid-20s, female cyclist. My most recent FTP was 177 watts, which puts me at 2.4 watts per kilogram. Uh, Zone 2, therefore, is 97 to 133 watts. I am training for the Belgian Waffle Ride uh, wafer distance in April, so that's the San Diego one. Yeah, me Um, and Adam will be there. Come find us and say hi. Yeah, seriously. Um, I, I ride approximately. Dil- if I can Dude, convince, let me Dil- finish the question. Count. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I ride approximately. So I know. I ride approximately three to four days a week for a total of five to ten hours. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, yes, Drew and I will be at Belgian Wall for Ride. Dylan, are you going to? Trying to convince him. I'm not going. He's gonna. As, I'm gonna work him because I'm gonna work okay, him over. Look, Drew, you you nagged me nonstop last year about how I was racing too much, and now yes. you're trying to get now you're trying to get me to race more. Like, I have a good counter argument. All those okay. dumb races you did last year, I wasn't at any of them. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. be at this race. Dude, we only get the Dylan, race you against just, each other. You should just come out one and time you, a year, and, and you can support Drew and I, and then we can hang out all week. Dude, I am no, definitely okay. not gonna. Fly another to San argument. Diego another argument is <laughs> you had said that you're going to be training for Unbound. Unbound is two months after, and how is a 144 mile gravel race in California not also training for Unbound? That's what I that's what I thought last year. I'm like doing these races is training for Unbound, but it turns yeah. out I just trained myself or I raced myself into a hole, man. Well, okay. Dude, well anyways, we can talk yeah, about that. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> sorry. Back to the question. So so back to Shannon. So she's wondering, you know, for for lower level cyclists in her mind, is zone two rides are are they still beneficial? Uh yes, absolutely. In fact, it takes um like it takes years of zone zone two training is something that, you know, unlike the benefits that you get from, you know, shorter duration, higher intensity intervals, uh, those benefits come quickly and they also plateau quickly. The benefits from lower intensity, say zone two training are much slower to come by and they, you know, they can take months to years, uh, but they're, you're going to see less of a plateau from them. So you know, I would I would say that there there is a benefit to doing that, and the way that you currently have your schedule set up, where you're doing two hard group rides in the week and then two zone two rides, I personally 
if you only have four ride four rides to do in the week, I wouldn't change anything about that. I think that's I think that's spot on. Like I would not make those two zone two rides any harder. Yeah. So, so, the, I, so the only thing that I would say, like if if I were coaching her and I could change something, it sounds like her two unstructured days are her longer days. Mm-hmm. And I would try and encourage her to maybe maybe find a group ride that's only like an hour long for one of your unstructured days. And then on one of your other longer days, try and make that a zone two ride. So that way you're getting like one three hour zone two ride in a week instead of like a three hour, you know, ring in the towel on a zone three, four fast group ride. Like, um, you know, I, I think you'd get more benefit if you were if you were able to flip those and you might have a better chance of keeping up with the group um, if it was a shorter ride. Yeah, that's good. I think that one makes thing sense. that I was going to say was that. <clears throat> And this is just the coach in me is like, I don't like unstructured days where you just go hard. So what I was going to say is do one of those unstructured group rides and then make one of your hard workouts a structured hard workout. So like do the Saturday really hard group ride that's two or three hours, put yourself in the hole, whatever. But then sometime midweek on like Tuesday or Wednesday, do a structured interval workout where you're actually trying to accomplish some like physiological goals whereas a group ride you're kind of like hitting all the you might sprint you might go hard you might do threshold it's just like a free-for-all yeah so piggybacking off that so caitlin if you if you were coaching her and you were going to take kind of drew's approach here what what kind of intervals would you throw into that like midweek interval ride for her um well with drew i was gonna say it would be really nice to know what kind of effort she was giving in the other group ride um and knowing you know, how that's going to affect her because side note, like maybe she does need a pure recovery day. And I think it's super important that she know where her zone two is. Is she riding too hard on her zone two or is she going too easy? Like there's so many different questions here. Um, and she did, I would she did give a range for her zone two, right? Oh, she did. Yeah. She, she knows. Yeah. Her zone two oh, is okay. 97 to 133 Watts. And she's also only riding three to four days a week. Um, so I'm assuming she's not doing any recovery rides that she's just taking those other days off. Um, and she does allude to like the reason she, I think the main reason she's asking this question is because she's afraid the zone two rides. Like she says, right, she feels that riding at her zone two, I'm not really making any fitness gains. And so, well, it the sounds like she's slower, right? Yeah, they're slower, but it sounds like she's saying, or what, what she's maybe getting at here is like, should I replace my zone two rides with harder rides or something like that? Which in w- which I would say no. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that that's like the number one trap that kind of time crunch cycles right. fall into is that they exactly. just want to make every ride hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Shannon, I mean, it sounds like you're doing most everything kind of on points. Um, some suggestions would be to swap out one of those group rides for either your longer endurance ride or, um, and, or, uh, put in one structured workout a week where you're targeting a specific zone. And what you're trying to do there is you're trying to maximize the amount of adaptations your body can make within a given energy system. So by hitting that same zone over and over and over again and, and slightly progressing either the intensity or the volume within that zone, 
week after week, your body is slowly making adaptations in order to accommodate those types of efforts. But if you're just throwing in zone three, zone four, zone five, kind of all over the place on those group rides, your body doesn't really know what adaptations it needs to make. It's kind of confused in that way. So you might be hitting a plateau simply because of that. You're going to still get fitter, faster, you know, Overall, you're going to be able to accommodate a little bit more training load, um, but maybe not quite as precise and um, as efficient as you would if you were to swap one of those group rides out for that structured training ride. Mm-hmm. I often I, or the, another thing that I was thinking of when you were reading the question was um, actually like diet or nutrition, because one of the things that you can think about with nutrition is like, oh, I need to stop. Uh, and this is more a metaphor. I'm not going to talk about nutrition, but one of the one of the thinkings of of nutrition is like, oh, I need to stop drinking soda because soda is bad for me. But also when you're drinking a soda at dinner, you're also like missing an opportunity to be be drinking something of better quality or high quality. So like Mm. I could, so you think of it as like replacement, like I could, I should stop drinking the soda, but I could also be drinking like some healthy, like vegetable juice or milk or something like that, that would be, or even just water that would be beneficial. So like that, and I don't, I don't know why my brain went, to this, but when you're talking about replacing your zone two rides, you also have to ask the question, well, what would you replace them with? Would you replace them with rest days? Cause it sounds like you're already getting enough rest days or would you replace them with really hard days? Cause it sounds like you're getting enough hard days already too. And so, but, but, I mean, so the only thing left to do is really zone two cause those aren't either. It's not recovery or intensity, but wasn't a perfect metaphor, but I see where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I, I, yeah. I think the metaphor would be more applied to like, if you're stripping out one of those those group rides, it's like, you know, you're taking that out, but what are you replacing it with? Hopefully something that's more beneficial towards mm. building fitness. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you guys got it. Like you're not just taking it out and not doing the ride altogether. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Caitlin, anything else for Shannon? Um, last thing I was going to say, she was worried about um, needing to get more fit before she dove into Mm. the zone two. Ah. And I would just say like in classic periodization, like you're starting with primarily zone two, a lot of zone two. So maybe do three, you know, a full training block where you're replacing one of those group rides with a longer zone two ride. Like we had already mentioned. And then your, your next training block that, um, that replaced group ride is, um, tempo you know, zone three and then high zone three. And, um, but hopefully you'll have, have a coach by then. And you got to do things. She said that like those group rides are hard. Um, you have to do things that are uncomfortable for you to gain fitness. Um, so doing those group rides and those being hard might feel defeating, but I think you're probably gaining fitness from that. Uh, if you're, if you're uncomfortable and pushing yourself, the, the question there, the big thing there is, are you doing that too often? Right. Yeah, for sure. You're already ahead of the game because a lot of newer athletes don't want to ride with in a group or ride with people that are stronger than them. But that's exactly where you should be. So good job. If she wants some concrete. Here's here's what she should do. Concrete. If she's riding four days a week. Tuesday should be structured intervals, an hour and a half. Thursday should be one to two hours endurance, zone two. I'm assuming Saturday and Sundays because that's most working people's t- time to get outside. Saturday would be the long, hard group ride or the or the short hard group ride either way hard group ride either short or long and sunday should be a longer endurance ride so like over two hours that's if she wants some you know, like down mm-hmm. on the wire right there that's it yep that's nice 
That's what I would say. I agree. All right. Okay, let's move on. And then she should throw in some gym on Wednesday. (laughs) Okay. And she should run and stretch. Okay, now and you're just, just now, now you're starting to throw in stuff. That's... I know. I'm just. I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> okay, so this one, uh, this one's an interesting one. This one comes from Bradley. He's talking about base training. Uh, so my question is on base training. This is my third season of riding, but first time going through a full base phase around 12 hours per week for 12 weeks. When I'm doing zone two, should I be more focused on keeping heart rate under 75 percent of maximum? or just staying within zone two power regardless of heart rate. When I'm riding at the higher end of zone two, I often see my heart rate creeping up higher than I would like to after an hour or so. At that point, should I drop power or just keep rolling? It's not too taxing to continue at the power, but I want to make sure I'm getting the right stresses from the ride. Also, for reference, my cardiac drift is at 5.9% over the course of a one-hour block at 70% of FTP. I certainly hope to improve this over the course of this training block. Thanks. Yeah, so... That's a big question. Uh, I, get I feel this. like a, a lot of people ask that. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people ask that. And it's uh, I'm. It's actually something that researchers are currently working on. Because I, I believe I asked this question to Steven Seiler when I had him on my YouTube channel. And that, yep. his answer was... And, and I kind of agree with this. I think his answer was to pay more attention to heart rate, but also the caveat is that this is a question that researchers are currently working on. So, um, yeah. Given- and, and, and his, he also, um, he also mentioned that if you're, if you're focusing on heart rate and in order to keep your heart rate where it needs to be, your power drops so low that you're now like riding in zone one, then you're probably bringing too much fatigue into that ride or you're riding beyond what your like capacity is for that ride. Mm-hmm. So like you got to be mindful of that too like maybe you're trying to build you're trying to progress, you know, in volume uh too quick or something. Um or you're not giving yourself yeah. enough recovery between rides. Yeah. I feel like there's two things going on here. You know, really what you're asking when you ask this question is is it better for me to like ride at the very high end of endurance and my on power and heart rate and try to maximize KJs or maximize TSS or whatever, or on the flip side of that, am I, am I compromising recovery when I do that? That's like those two things are like, you're asking like that, that question. I feel like my thought process is on an endurance ride. The way I go about it is usually I give myself a heart rate ceiling. That is about what he said, 75% of my max max is like right around 200. So I just put my heart rate ceiling at 150 and I say, I won't go over 150. If I do for like a minute or two because of a steep climb, I'm not going to stress about it, but I'm not spending significant time at anything over 150, but I'm also just not sitting at 149 either. Yeah. I'm kind of just like riding at like 140 the whole ride. I'm not trying to like maximize it and ride, ride at 150. I'm just kind of like riding. Um, but I'm making sure I don't go over 150, uh, nearly at all. That's my thought process. And the thought process behind that is if I'm riding, you know, 10 beats below that ceiling, I don't have to worry about like, well, if I'm riding right on the cusp, am I going to have too much fatigue to recover from? If I'm riding a bit below that, I don't have to worry so much about how I'm going to be overly fatigued from this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Steven Seiler, uh, you know, sort of agreed with that as well, because, because that, that lower threshold, you know, lactate threshold one, you know, lactate turn point one, whatever you want to call it is 
one, it's sort of ambiguous. Like it's, it's hard to predict unless you're like in a lab and, um, you know, actually quantifying it, but it's also f- can be fluid from day to day. So if you're like trying to hit mm. right below that line, you're also taking the risk that you're actually hitting right above that line, mm-hmm. which isn't achieving the same, um, the, the same effect that you're, you're aiming for with that endurance ride. Um, and it also like, it fluctuates throughout the ride, even it was just kind of what he was alluding to with like, why it's important to keep a, an eye on heart rate. You know, that lactate yeah. turn point might actually decrease as the ride goes on because you're getting more fatigued. Um, yep. so, so yeah, so I think, and I think that's just something to keep in mind that you're better off being a little bit more conservative with that, unless you're doing a very specific workout where you're trying to hit like right at that, but that shouldn't be the whole ride. Like that's going to be like, you know, I call them like two by 20 high endurance intervals. And like, I'll do, I'll do this for athletes that are like still pretty early on in the base season. Like that's our intensity where it's like, it's okay if you go a little bit over that because that's the only intensity we're getting this week. And we're just trying to like kind of find that, that line of like lactate 2.1. And like, we're just kind of like tickling it a little bit and like just slowly trying to elevate it, you know, a percent or two by like increasing your capacity to hold that. Um, but there's not as much of a risk because we're not like also doing, you know, two threshold workouts later in the week y'all heard it here adam tickles his athletes <laughs> that's why that's why that's why they pay him extra <laughs> so i i think that a huge it's a, a huge issue is all there's there are a, a a number of different ways cited for estimating where your first lactate turn point is and you know for example the example the example that um, this person gave was 75% of your max heart rate. That That's one estimate. You know, there's estimates using heart rate reserve. There's, and, and so on and so forth. There's estimates, estimates using FTP to get your approximate power that that's at. They're all estimates. Um, and I think that, I think that what needs, what needs to happen is that we need to get a little bit more precise with where that is. And something that I've been talking about is that would be an absolute, I've probably said it on the podcast before, that would be an absolute game changer for cycling training. Probably as big a game changer as the power meter is a continuous lactate monitor. Like a continuous glucose monitor is cool, and I think there's some gains to be had there, but continuous lactate monitor, as soon as a company comes out with a continuous lactate monitor, I am buying it that minute. Like, I don't even care how much it costs. That is a, that's a game changing product. I was going to go in the complete opposite direction and say, we need to get a little more in touch with our RPE. <laughs> like, because that's important. Yeah, but yeah. No, I mean, I agree, but like you, this is, this is a number that's, it's, everybody's throwing out these estimates and it's, it's a fairly important number to know. And yet I feel like no one knows it. Everybody's in the dark about what this, this lactate term point one is. And if you had a continuous lactate monitor, you could do, there's a number of reasons why a continuous lactate monitor would revolutionize training. You could do a zone two ride perfectly. Right. And if you wanted to do this thing where you're riding right at the edge of your zone two, but not going over it, um, like some people talk about, you could do that perfectly. And you could do a threshold workout perfectly. If you're racing with it, you could know <laughs> if you're going over your threshold or not. Like it's, it would be, it's almost like if you had this, you wouldn't even need a power meter. Like who cares what your FTP is? 
you can see if you're at your lactate threshold by looking down at your computer. Not your FT, not your, not your like estimated power at lactate threshold, literally your lactate threshold. Right. But what's the fun in that? What do you mean what's the fun in that? It's like I love like going out and doing a hard ride or a hard race and you're like, crap, I went way harder than I should have. And if you had that thing telling you you're going too hard, you're going too hard, you'd never well, go too people, hard. People could make the same argument about a power meter. I'm sure they did make the same argument yeah. about a power meter. Like Fair if you're enough. in a if you're in a road race, then obviously ignore your power meter and ignore your lactate meter and just try to stay with the group. But like if you're trying to I don't know, pace a 100 mile mountain bike race. That's very helpful. Yeah. So side rant, not, not really relevant to what he was asking, but <laughs> <laughs> what was he asking? I don't even remember now. <laughs> well, so, so, so in one thing he, he mentioned here is his, his cardiac drift, he's seeing 5.9% over the course of a one hour ride at 70% of FTP. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of high. Yeah, I, I mean say, that's yeah, I, I mean that's within five like percent of of yeah pushing beyond tempo. zone two. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say but five point nine percent cardiac drift over an hour at that is pretty high too. Yeah, I, and that should that should that percentage should drop over time as you get more fit. Yeah. I know, like if it's yeah. the beginning of the season and you're just coming off your off season, it can be very hard to keep your heart rate low. You know, because one, you're so fresh, and two, you're relatively unfit. But that those num- that'll come down over time as you get fitter and overtrained. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you think? We got time for one more? No. You say no? <laughs> yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. We, All right. We well, it, let's end it, it there. there. Yep. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get to Benny R's question next week. Right. Dang, dude! All you right. just left Benny R hanging on a cliff. Hanging. Yeah. Dude, why did you have to right. say his name? Now, it's now like he's got to tune in. It's like right. we thought about he, calling he knows. Me, but then we, we did. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. See ya. See ya. Deuces. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go.
I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.